Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 9, headlined by Alistair Overeem versus Augusto Sakai. Interesting heavyweight fight, but, you know, the, the, the state of the heavyweight division is just fucked in my opinion but uh we'll save that for later in this podcast before i even get into anything about this i want to give a quick shout out to everybody that's signed up for the patreon you guys are killing it you guys are making it way more worth it right now um in terms of getting me closer to my goal of uh doing this thing full time you know as of this recording we're at 88 patrons you know, I I was even surprised of getting past the fifty mark, uh, and now here we are closing in on that three digit mark. Um, I'm pretty confident, considering that the run that we're on, we're gonna get to that hundred uh, patron mark before this uh, event even goes down. So shout out to everybody making it, uh, you know, making this a little bit easier for me to do, and hopefully cutting the chains of my nine to five so I can do this even earlier or better for you guys. Drop the breakdowns even earlier for you guys, uh, and just put out a lot more content regarding uh, MMA betting. So huge huge shout out to you guys i'm i'm massively thankful i'll forever be in debt to you guys and i hope to continue to to give you guys good content give you guys good advice to keep winning because all we're doing right now is fucking winning we got nine straight winning events huge huge uh you know run that we're on right now and i'm on one i got one more event to go if i get this weekend that's a record breaker for me. That would be 10 straight winning events. The, the I'm tied right now with my longest winning streak. So it would be nice to to top that. And especially in the fashion that we've been doing it. You know what I mean? We, we're just killing it. Every event we're, we're getting, you know, above 50% ROI. We got 56% last time, 70% before that, uh, 27% before that, 81%, 106%, 54%, 37%, 29%. We're cashing. Pretty much, we're fucking cashing. Um, as an incentive to people that are signing up to the Patreon, I just launched a sweater contest. Um, so as you guys will see, even throughout this video, I, I pretty much just changed out of uh, all the shirts and sweaters that I have of this new uh, design that I came up with. And shout out to everybody that knows about the Toronto versus everybody, uh, you know, uh, fad that was not fad, but like uh, phase that was going on. Uh, you know, it is a little bit of a rip off from there, but I do like it. We got the MMA lock of the night versus uh, the bookies shirts, um, but I'm going to be giving away sweaters on the Patreon. So I, ha I have a contest on there. If you sign up for the Patreon, you just comment under the uh, contest post. Uh, give me all your picks for this weekend's card and whoever comes out with the most picks uh, gets a sweater. Simple as that. I will be doing other giveaways as well, too. I'm just trying to figure out how to go about it. Uh, but I wanted to reward those guys first and foremost. Uh, so once again, if you're not on the Patreon, hit that shit up. You guys are you guys are helping me tremendously. I'm I'm surprised at how close I am to my goal of leaving my nine to five. You know, the Patreon coupled in with the the, the how well the tape index is doing as well, too fucking killing it i'm 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 ecstatic can't you guys fucking tell like I, i'm loving it i'm i'm so close like it might even be by the end of the year i might be able to make that full transition in terms of making this a full-time thing uh and once again it's all thanks to you guys and i keep rewarding you guys with winning events i hope to keep it going i know there is a loss coming it's coming 
it's gonna happen but i'm hoping that uh we we can you know get through that and then get back on the winning ways just like we are right now uh so yeah lastly last time i'll shout it out appreciate you guys checking out the patreon oh sorry one thing i do want to ask uh, add about that so the perks of it are early access to the breakdown so as soon as i finish recording the breakdowns you guys get them right away on patreon i disconnect the camera i fucking plug it into the laptop upload it to youtube and then post it onto the patreon uh privately obviously so nobody publicly can get those breakdowns early uh add on top of that you guys get the picks on there and uh you guys get my best bets and props article which has been killing it right now where i just give out you know the best prop for every single fight uh and a lot of them are cashing you know we're, we're, we're getting a lot of good spots um i'm trying to remember the the last one we had magni to win via decision um lamas to win via decision uh there was another one that i hit oh yeah vienna to win by submission which was like plus 350 plus 400 which was ridiculous even though under two and a half that was one of my official bets plus 162 that was insane um but yeah hit the patreon everything is in the description below uh so it's easy for you guys to sign up um I'm harping on the Patreon a little bit because I am doing a little bit of market research on the Patreon, and it seems like a lot of people are are um, finding the Patreon through my my podcast. So I needed to plug it. All right, I'll shut the fuck up about it. I appreciate you guys. Trust me, I won't be forgotten. All right, um, let's get into my last event. We'll do a quick breakdown of that. Um, we only had two bets. Uh, so we'll do it real quick. We had my dog of the night played the under two and a half on Pollyanna Vienna to beat Emily Whitmer, or sorry, just whoever to get the finish in Whitmire and Vienna. Uh, Vienna gets a beautiful arm bar in that first round, makes it look easy. I wish it went a little bit harder. We had one unit at plus 162. That cashes for plus 1.62 units. And then my lock of the night play on Ricardo Lamas, that cashes five units at minus 284. A little bit chalky, but this was a chalky card, and this was the spot that I felt more comfortable about. But Ricardo Lamas goes out there and makes us fucking sweat. You know, has a solid first round, gets rocked and hurt really bad in that second round. Uh, and then in the third round, shows off his veteran experience, goes in there, gets uh, pretty much controls Algio for that entire th- third round, lands some solid damage as well too. And I believe on all three judges' scorecards, he was able to to nab a 10-8 in that third round. So even if the, the judges decided to go the opposite way in that first round this probably would have been a draw anyway and we would have profited on the card regardless but uh that cashes for 1.76 units and we end the card at 3.38 units love it we just keep it rolling that's nine straight events we're gonna fucking keep killing it uh and we have another big one coming up this weekend where i already have four bets in play but i probably will have one max another two bets coming in for you guys uh as i feel like there's a lot of value on this card that i need to exploit um but yeah solid ufc on vegas 8 brings us to ufc on vegas 9 uh just talking about it from a fan's perspective there are some fun fights on this card you know cole smith versus hunter azure should be a fun fight a good test for both guys who are both <coughs> both coming off of losses um uh, their first ever losses, so we'll see how they rebound. Uh, the the UFC debut of King Kong Alexander Romanov, who's been scheduled to fight in the UFC for a little bit now, but now here he is against a solid uh, UFC veteran, Marcos Hajirio de Lima. That should be chaos for as long as it lasts. Montana De La Rosa taking a little bit of a step up in competition against Viviane Rujo. That should be a fun fight. Uh, Fabinski versus Munez. There's a lot of differing opinions there. Looking forward to that. A lot of love. On the underdog, Jalen Turner against Tiago Moises, who's coming off a victory over Michael Johnson. Uh, 
can't wait to break that down for you guys. Uh, the short notice uh, UFC debut of Kevin Natividad against Brian Kelleher. Michelle Pereira versus Zalim Imadayev. That should be a fun, fun fight. Both guys love throwing spinning and flying shit, so that should be really fun to watch. Uh, Carol Rosa versus uh, Carol Hosa, I should say, against Jar Eubanks. Decent fight. OSP against Manifield. We are supposed to get that a couple weeks ago. OSP pulls out with COVID, and he steps back in like two weeks later to take on Manifield here. And then obviously we got the main event of Overeem versus Sakai. Um, you know, Sakai's on a bit of a run now. 15-1-1, impressive record. But this is his first legitimate test against a high-level uh, heavyweight opponent in Alistair Overeem, who's kind of, you know, looking pretty good in his last couple of fights outside of that jersey new last second knockout um you know he's looked good he's turned the corner since he's joined team elevation uh and i can't wait to break down that fight for you guys too so one last plug for the patreon if you guys want these breakdowns even earlier again i drop them right away as soon as finishing recording them on the patreon so if you guys can't wait until the podcast drops hit up the fucking patreon all right I think that's it for me. Yes, that is it for me. We're going to get into these breakdowns now, uh, and I hope you guys enjoy them. Hunter Adger versus Cole Smith. We got minus, what is it? Uh, minus 225 on Hunter Azure, plus 185 on the Squamish man, Cole Smith. Uh, the line has slowly gotten wider as this fight week has gone on. Uh, going into this fight, I truly thought that I was going to come out on the other end with a, a strong lean on Azure. You know, I did bet him uh, heavy last time when he fought Brian Kelleher, uh, and he just absolutely let me down. You know, uh, the, the striking and the power of Boom was just way too much for Azure. Uh, he seemed a little bit uncomfortable there, and the fact that he wasn't able to secure takedowns made it a lot more difficult for him to, to, to get the victory there. And obviously, we know what happened. He got put out in that second round. Um Trained by Eddie Chaw, you know, he was down there at the MMA lab before they all split, uh, and then he decided to go the Eddie Chaw way, I believe their gym's name is Fight Ready, uh, so he has a solid camp there, um, he's coming off his first loss, something that he has in common with Cole Smith, both guys coming off their first ever losses, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, how they rebound from their, from you know, tasting defeat for the first ever time. Uh, Cole Smith seemed really, really upset uh, when he lost that decision to Miles Johns. Um, you know, kind of a close fight, but I would uh, edge it a little bit to Miles um, um, Johns. Uh, you know, in that second round, even though Cole Smith had that back control, he didn't land too much damage there. Uh, and then Miles Johns, you know, he did good in the first half of the or first little bit of the round, and then he was able to reverse the position at the end, later end, uh, later part later portion of that round uh and land some good shots from on tops and then obviously in the third round um you know did a good job of defending the takedown landed some good shots cole looked really tired um and and obviously maz johns was able to secure that victory so good one for him there uh but i do uh, you know w- with that loss for cold smith I- i'm 
I'm still kind of impressed with the kid. You know what I mean? Uh, just six weeks ago, he posted on Instagram that he uh, received his black belt. Uh, so that's a huge accolade in his in his career. Uh, the kid's still kind of young too. So he has a lot of uh, development to still go. Actually, he's 31 years old. I don't know why the hell I thought he was much younger than that. But again, you know, 31 years old is not too bad. Uh, you got a couple years, uh, two to three years to go uh, in terms of reaching your peak. And I think he's pretty close to it. Uh, the frame that he brings to this division is very interesting too. You know, 5'11", 67-inch reach, but very gangly for that 135-pound uh, division. Even in this Hunter Azure fight, he's going to have a, a solid three-inch height advantage. Uh, maybe not as much of a, a reach advantage with his hands, but that reach advantage uh, in height allows him to actually use his kicks very well, which is something that he does and something that we've seen in his past couple fights. You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go out there and just, you know, brutalize the front leg of Azure before he starts to implement his own wrestling. And I know that Azure is a, you know, high level wrestler himself too, uh, but I'm not the most impressed. You know what I mean? I'm, I, I, I hate to say it. I, I think the kid's a little bit overrated. You know, I mean, a lot of people are really, very, very high on him, and he is probably one of the higher uh, or, or one of the bigger favorites on this card, and I kind of don't understand it. Uh, you know, we've seen fights in the past where he's been held up against a cage, um, and say what you want about the wrestling accolades of Cole Smith, you know, coming out of freaking nowhere Canada uh, compared to guys that have been, you know, wrestling on the NCAA uh, scene and, and the, the collegiate scene down there uh, in the States. You know, it, it doesn't always come down to those specific accolades. If you see in fights in the past that these guys are able to be, you know, uh, imposing and 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 can make fight can make fights close with their wrestling, then you kind of got to go off of what you see on tape. Um, mix in the fact that Cosmith just got his black belt. Uh, the jujitsu that we've seen uh, in the cage, uh, not just in his UFC fights, but in prior fights, it's been intriguing. Like it's been. Um, I, I'm kind of impressed with Cole Smith here. I'm very surprised that the line is getting wider and wider, to be honest. Um, this is a wait and see spot for me. I want to see if he's able to get up to plus 200 because I truly think that he's going to get there. He is at plus 200 at one of the books that I saw in Best Fight Odds, but not on any of the books that I currently have a line on. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's uh, I think it's unwarranted that the line should be this big. A lot of people are really high on Azure and... You know, I kind of was too. I'll admit it. Like that Kelleher fight, I thought he he was going to be able to get those takedowns with relative ease, and you know, it, it didn't happen that way. And Kelleher, you got to give some credit to him too. He has some solid takedown defense. But the fact that he was just it, it looked like uh, Azure was just uncomfortable in there, which kind of attributed to him looking a little bit more tired and possibly gassing in that second round, which led to the KO finish from Brian Kelleher. Um, Cole Smith is going to bring that same type of pace. You know, I mean, he's going to he's going to stay in your face. He's going to chop your leg down, uh, and then when he feels confident that he has you close enough up against the cage, he's going to push you up against the cage. Uh, he's going to pretty much Charlie horse your thigh. Uh, he's going to just stay on you. Um, and Azure may have some success in terms of uh, you know chucking him off and getting off the cage, and maybe even turning around and getting his own takedown. But I like what Cole Smith brings off of his back. Like he has solid jujitsu uh, and. And again, being 5'11 and having those long, gangly limbs, uh, you know, getting submissions or pulling off submissions or even threatening with submissions are, is a little bit easier. So uh, I, I don't get the... I don't get the love on Hunter Azure here. I'm I'm truly mystified. Like, yeah, he he should be the favorite. I will give you guys that. And I'd, I'd say he should be closer to maybe minus 150, minus 160. And I think that's closer to where the line had opened at. Uh, but man, these people are just, 
bum rushing that line. So if you got in on Hunter Hodger at minus 160, minus 165, all props to you. But if, you know, Cole Smith gets up to plus 100, there's a little bit of value or not even just a little bit, a, a solid amount of value on Cole Smith here. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of people are just discrediting him, uh, probably due to the, his possible gas tank issues in that third round against Miles Johns. I hope he goes out there and, and fixes that. Um, you know, it's not going to be overnight, you know what I mean? It's not going to be from one fight to the other where we're going to see a huge cardio um you know, a cardio improvement from him, but we've seen him go like uh, five rounds in the past before, maybe not at the competition or the level of competition as he's used to here, but you know, he's been to the fourth round, he's been to the fifth round, uh, and then he won a solid three rounds against Mitch Gagnon as well. Uh, even after getting rocked, he was able to, uh, I believe it was in that third round against Gagnon where he got rocked and he was still able to reverse the position and get back on top and just ride out the rest of that round. Um, yeah, the, the Miles Johns fight was super close as well, too. Uh, obviously, Johns pulls it out, like I said earlier. But uh, yeah, God, I like Cole here. I'm going against the grain. I know a lot of people are on Hunter Azure here, but uh, I like Cole. I think he's a solid spot as a dog. Um, I think Hunter Azure is being slightly overrated. I could be eating my words come, uh, you know, come Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, but I like Cole here. I, I like him as a dog as well, and I think he's going to get this fight done via uh, decision. Marcos Hajirio de Lima versus Alexander King Kong Romanov. We got minus 120 on the newcomer, plus 100 on de Lima. The over-under is set at 1.5, obviously, uh, with the under 1.5 being minus 145. Um, let's start off with uh, de Lima. You know, he's coming up... Uh, in this fight off off of a victory over Ben Sassoli in a fight where it looked like he wanted to get out of there ASAP. He was pretty much throwing everything into his shots in that fight. And it looked like, you know, from the get-go that he just, you know, wanted to get in there, clip Sassoli, and then just, you know, just get back to get back to Brazil pretty much. Um, you know, he has heavy leg kicks, uh, throws a lot of power in his shots. Um, you know, it, this that was only his third fight in the UFC at heavyweight. Before that, he had a stretch against Gadzmarad, Antigulov, Jeremy Kemble, uh, and then OSP, where he got von Flud or von Prude there, we should say. Uh, and then he made his uh, trek up to heavyweight roughly about a year and a half after he lost to OSP. Uh, grinded out a decision victory over Adam Wizardcheck in a fight where he just took the fight down after. Uh, pretty much time and time again and was able to to pretty much grind it out on top and then in his next fight against Stefan Shrove drops Stefan Shrove right off the bat uh, and then rides that top position for the rest of the first round and then in that second round it looked like he was just completely out of gas Stefan Shrove goes out there and gets an arm triangle choke um, to cast under one and a half as well if anybody had that and then again, like I said, in the Ben Sassoli fight, was throwing bombs. Uh, Sassoli was pretty, you know, lax with the striking defense, and he paid for it. Delima clips him on the top of the head, and then finishes off with some beautiful ground and pound. Um, I don't think Delima is UFC level. You know, what I mean, the guy. It's, but luckily for him, you know, what I mean, with the heavyweight division, uh, one punch going one way could uh, pretty much change the the tide of the fight. Um, and this fight against Alexander Romanov it's it's kind of a toss-up in terms of who wins you know what i mean uh you guys know me how i feel about betting on ufc debuters uh with romanov uh it's slightly different you know what i mean uh again i don't believe delima deserves to be in the ufc 
uh, Romanov has a lot of interesting tools. And don't let the f- physique of this guy really uh, deter you from thinking that this guy was just a, a schlub. You know what I mean? He he will throw spinning shit. He will throw flying shit. Uh, he'll throw some fucking somersaults in there for you as well, too. The guy is uh, a go-go-go fighter. Like, he wants to go in there. He wants to take you down. Um, and he wants to pound your face through the canvas, pretty much. Um uh, you know he doesn't hold back he's not very he's not much of a tentative fighter um i think he's going to want to go into this fight and and put on a show like i think he wants to stamp his arrival in the ufc go out there uh decimate delima you know stamp his name in that heavyweight division a division that really needs some help you know i mean in terms of t- talent there isn't really anybody there at 29 years old he could really make a little bit of a statement here um his opponents have been a little bit skeptical you know the last fight uh he had against Sergio Freitas uh that was a 42 year old guy that he just pretty much got out of there with the slam you know what I mean it was interesting uh the Sultan Murtazaliya fight we saw if he was able to get fights later in uh into the rounds he could still go out there and and put on a decent uh pace and and get his opponents out of there uh he does have a a, a decent victory over Virgil Zwicker uh, who's a who's a strike force vet, uh, a guy who's been around the scene, but he choked him out in one minute. Um, you know, he has a forearm choke on his record. He has a 36-second knockout uh, over Alexander Stolyarov, uh, who was 20-5 and five at the time. So he's he's been fighting guys that have experience. Um, you know, him and Virgil's record are probably the only two. The other guys all have like less than 10 fights or something. But uh, coming in this fight against Delima, I don't think his his style changes. I think he just goes out there, tries to bull rush Delima, get him to the ground, and try to ground and pound him. Um, you know, he moves pretty well for a heavyweight, and especially for a guy that used to compete at super heavyweight. Um, I'm impressed with his movement. You know, what I mean, the guy is, for as big as he is, he moves pretty well. Um, so I think he's going to give Delima a little bit of issues. I think he's really going to make. Delima work in that first round which will open up the finish in the second round um it could come in the first round too but i do believe that uh the, the pace and and just being a slightly a step ahead of delima will allow romanov to actually get the finish more than likely in the second round and if we're looking at props here so romanov to win inside the distance or win inside round one is plus 250 from to win in round two is plus 475 i think that's the shot to go with um i do like the under one and a half i I do really believe that romanov will be able to get him out there uh get him out of there quickly uh and if why like i said early second round probably where he gets that takedown right off the bat and then just you know works to 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 pound Delima's face through the canvas. There is the slight chance, I will say, of Delima landing a bomb in that first round too. So it's it's it could go both ways, but I do think the sure bet here would be the under one and a half. Uh, minus 145 is not that bad considering these guys are finishers. They want to go out there and get the finish ASAP, especially Marcos Hadjario Delima. That that fight against Adam Wizardcheck was a little bit of an anomaly, but I think if he had somebody a little bit more uh, aggressive as an opposition, uh, that fight probably would have finished under one and a half as well too. But, you know, the OSP fight, the Stefan Struve fight, Ben Sassoli, Jeremy Kimball, like all of these fights are ending in the first round or under one and a half. Nothing tells me, and I think that Romanov is a perfect dance partner for him for another fight to go under one and a half. So I like it here. I could see the the narrative of like, okay, if these guys are a clinch heavy, we could see them kind of stalemate each other. But I just think that the extra gas and extra, 
you know horsepower that Romanov has will kind of nullify this uh, clinch fucking type of uh, scenario where these guys just lay on each other uh, for you know over seven and a half minutes. I just don't see it happening. So I do like Romanov to win this fight by a second round TKO, uh, and I do like the under one and a half in this situation as well too. So I'll take Romanov second round TKO. Montana De La Rosa versus Viviani Araujo. We got minus 170 on Vivi and plus 150 on De La Rosa. Let's start off with De La Rosa. She's 11-5, coming off a victory over Mara Romero Barella. And um, one thing that I did notice, actually, uh, going through her past opponents, it's a little bit of a sketchy record. All the way up until Nadia Kasim, who was pretty much fed cans uh, up until her UFC debut. Um, you know, I think the combined record of de la rosa's opponents that she's beaten was like 28 and 20 or is 24 and 28 or 24 and 27 or something like that it was it was insane um and then she beats nadia kasim who was five and oh but we all know that kasim is just not ufc level either she goes out there and loses to andrea lee in a fight where you know lee was heavily favored in that fight uh de la rosa did a decent job but she was just a little bit outgunned on the feet and then uh mara romero barella she was able to you know pretty much take her down when she wanted to keep the fight there, and then control those positions for the majority of the fight. Um, and that's where she does strong. You know, she has a really good wrestling base. Uh, her jiu-jitsu is getting up there as well, too. Um, she has a couple of chokes and, uh, you know, uh, submission finishes on her record. So she's always hunting for the finish. Uh, she has a great frame for this division as well, too. Standing at 5'7 with a 68-inch re reach. So she's going to have about a 2-3 to three inch height advantage on Vivi here. Um, but uh, you 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 got to be honest. You know I mean? When you're talking about the striking round, Vivi's going to have a little bit of the advantage here. Not even a little bit. I think she will have the advantage. She'll be the quicker one on the feet. Um, you know, she she moves quite well. Uh, she's almost a little bit too herky-jerky at times. And I think if Montana is able to time takedowns well, she'd be able to catch her on like those offbeat steps where Montana will just be able to, you know, change levels and just shoot for a power, power double or something like that. Um Another thing with Viviani is, you know, they they say that she's like a high-level black belt, but we haven't really seen much from her on the ground outside of her fight against Alexis Davis. Uh, you know, Davis was uh, got taken down, and then she had a beautiful sweep uh, where she was able to get Vivi's back and then pretty much hang out in her guard for the rest of that second round. Um, a solid amount of time, too. We didn't see much resistance from Vivi on the bottom either, so that was a little bit concerning if you're a Viviani backer. Um, De La Rosa, I feel like, has solid top pressure as well, too. If she's able to get Vivi down, I think she'll be able to keep her down, do some good work from on top as well. Um, you know, I think she will be the slightly stronger girl in there as well, too. So that should be a bit of an advantage for Montana. Um, with with Vivi, I, I feel like we, we kind of saw it in the Davis fight. We saw it a little bit in the Jessica I fight when things aren't really going her way. We saw we see her start to suck wind a little bit. And yeah, she had a good bounce back third round against Alexis Davis. But it was starting, you know, if... If Alexis Davis was able to um, get that cage clinch control position a little bit earlier, maybe 30 to 45 seconds to even 60 seconds earlier, she probably would have stolen that third round from her. And one thing that De La Rosa does well is pretty much, uh, you know, clinch control her opponents and then is able to convert those into takedowns. So uh, I, I like De La Rosa's uh, chances here as an underdog. Uh, kind of a side note here, she is the wife of uh, UFC fighter Mark De La Rosa and they have a kid uh, who is like 
an all-state champion who at like obviously she's like four or five or six years old or something like that but uh to you know have to pretty much be growing up on the wrestling mat uh, has its has its advantages so i'm really looking forward to seeing what their kid eventually looks like in the next you know 10 to 15 years if they decide to go the mma route but I think De La Rosa has a, has a bright future still. You know, she's still quite young. She's only 25. Um, you know, her skills are ever improving. I feel like if she's able to mix in her striking a little bit better, she'll be, she'll be able to, to, to have a lot of success, uh, especially blending in those takedowns. Um, I feel like when Vivi, you know, when, when opponents are sticking the jab in her face, when opponents are staying active, throwing leg kicks and stuff like that, it kind of flusters Vivi because Vivi's the one that's, you know, she, she's so used to being the person that has a speed advantage and is always able to land that one, two, and then get out of the way. But I feel like if De La Rosa, you know, she sticks that jab in her face, um, you know, whenever Vivi tries to close the distance and then, you know, change that, that jab, faint that jab and go to a takedown, I think she could be very successful. Um, yeah, I, I like... It, the weird thing is here, after Viviani Rujo's uh, UFC debut, I was like, okay, this girl is something. We have something here with the Rujo. But, uh, you know, her Davis fight left a little bit to be desired, even though she came out with the victory. And then she goes there and loses to Jessica I, who, in my opinion, you know what I mean? if you, It's almost, almost the equivalent of losing to Betch Cohea. So uh, I have a little bit of a concern for Viviani. Um, yeah, she was slightly outpointed there. It wasn't like a, a complete wipeout or anything like that. But the fact that she allowed Jessica to establish her type of game plan was, uh, you know, Jessica did a really good job with the with the leg kicks and with the jabs. So if Montana, I do believe Montana would be able to implement a some not a, a similar game plan but a game plan that would be just as effective in terms of you know having a little bit of the striking and then mixing in the takedowns and changing levels to get the fight to the ground where she should have uh, a better advantage um it, it's hard to really gauge Arujo's ground game you know what i mean again like i said we saw a little bit of it in the davis fight but even in that fight that was a little bit questionable um de la rosa has really good top pressure um and she's ever improving so I feel like at plus 150, or, you know, it's gotten down to plus 150-ish now, uh, Del Rosa has the value here. Um, you know, if the line were to close closer to like minus 115 or minus 120, then you'd probably have to side with Vivi a little bit, just considering, you know, the, the beating that Del Rosa took from Andrea Lee just on the striking. I think that uh, Lee is the sli- slightly better striker than Arujo. You know, Arujo, again, she the way, the amount she moves and the amount of energies she exerts from her in and out movement really doesn't help her in, her, in the later rounds of the fight. And that's where I think it's going to be easier for Del Rosa to start, you know, clinching her up against the cage and starting to trip her and getting her down. <clears throat> so I think that's where we're going to start to see, uh, you know, De La Rosa have success. So if she's able to kind of hang on the feet or at least hang around in that first round, I feel like um, it should be have she would be much better in the second and third round. And I am impressed with uh, De La Rosa's cardio. You know, it, it is there. I feel like she does have the advantage over Arujo in that aspect. But she's going to have to make Arujo work. She's going to have to foster her. Like again, I I truly think it's pertinent to stick the jab in Viviani's face uh, anytime she tries to close the distance and tries to be quick and throw one two and try to fade off to the side and get out you know if if De La Rosa just meets her with the fucking jab anytime she tries to jump in I think that Viviani is going to get flustered and then it's going to open up the takedowns a little bit more so I hope we see that type of game plan from De La Rosa but even if she doesn't stay on the jab as much um, I still seeing her I still see her being successful in terms of tying Viviani up against the cage and then dragging her to the ground and making it a dirty fight um, 
you know, I, I hopefully we get some answers uh, to the questions of Viviani's ground game. You can say all you want about her being a high-level jiu-jitsu player, but until you see it in MMA, it's a different story. So uh, I'm going with Della Rosa here. I think she's going to win by decision, and I think this is a solid dog spot uh, for the ever-improving Montana Della Rosa. Bartos Fabinski versus Andre Munez. We got minus 145 on Fabinski and plus 125 on Munez. And as the fight week has been progressing, or at least since this, these odds have dropped back on August 22nd, it's slowly started to close more and more. Um, you know, I'm seeing a lot of my friends who do the same thing as me uh, going in there and betting on uh, Andre Munez. And there's a lot of people on the Patreon as well, too, that, that are really high on Munez. And I kind of get it. Like, uh, well, they're high on Munez in this spot I should say and I, I kind of understand it I mean when we look at a fight like this where there's a guy like Fabinski who you know is grapple heavy you know makes no bones about it pretty much every single fight starts with the exact same where he just bull rushes his opponent with a couple strikes you know there's nothing really behind those strikes more those strikes are more so just to hide the takedown that is eventually coming and the funny part is most opponents know that fucking takedown is coming regardless you know we saw michelle preserish have a little bit of success in terms of expecting that takedown getting the unhooks pretty much immediately and then shucking him aside and then obviously we know how that fight ended with him dropping fabinski and then eventually locking up a guillotine choke after fabinski was still clearly rocked um uh, you know, Darren Stewart tried to do the same thing. Stewart just not as strong, uh, not as, uh, you know, clinch or grapple um, uh, educated, as I would say, Preserish was. Uh, and then we saw, you know, Fabinski just go out there and just ride him for 15 minutes, just did not let him breathe. Um, but this is the first time we're actually seeing Fabinski fight somebody with a, you know, a, a legitimate slash decent jiu-jitsu resume. Um, you know, Munez is no, like, spring chicken or anything like that. He's 19-4. and four. You know, he has a ton of experience. He has a ton of submissions under his belt, too. Uh, when you watch his fights, you see that he's, you know, he's quite active off of his back. Uh, you know, loves to threaten with submissions. Has great flexibility, so he's able to get his arm or, or his legs up there for arm bars and triangle chokes or something like that. Um, and, you know, does a decent job of taking the back of some of his opponents. Um, as we saw in his contender series fight against a, a grapple-heavy opponent in Taylor Johnson, as soon as that fight hit the floor, um, you know, he was able to reverse position, get his back and sink in the rear naked choke. Um, I don't think it's going to be that easy, though. Like, I don't think that it's just going to be like, all right, Fabinski hits him down, he gets a reversal, and then he gets a submission. I, I still believe that Fabinski is a, a, a top-heavy fighter where he, he does have good pressure uh, when he does have his opponents down and he is on top of them. Um, you know, Munez, on the other hand, we have seen uh, glimpses of him, you know, getting reversals, uh, allowing him to, to get better position than his opponents. Um, but, man, this, this fight has been a little bit stumped. Uh, I truly thought it, it was weird, you know, my mentality going into this fight was uh, when, when I saw the odds, I'm like, all right, Fabinski, this this has got to be a great spot for him here. I mean, minus 145 for a guy that has such a, a great grappling approach, even though his hands are absolutely non-existent, uh, it's great that he's able to go in there and just get the fights to the ground, get them up against the cage, and just grind out his opponents. It didn't seem like a lot of people had answers to that type of style that he was presenting. Um 
But then as I start to dig into the tape, I'm like, all right, Munez has a legitimate jiu-jitsu background. He can make things a little bit interesting if they do hit the ground. Uh, but then as I start to watch a little bit more, you do see the longer that the fight goes, the less and less that he has to throw up. So I truly believe the best spot for Andrew Munez here is to win inside the first round. If he's not able to secure that, uh, that, that submission in the first round, I think it gets a little bit tough for him. I think that's where Fabinski really starts to... To, to turn it on a little bit uh, and really get away with the, the grapple-heavy approach. Um, man, it's tough. I, I truly believe that it's got to be round one or bust here for Ranjan Munez. If you see, the majority of his victories are in the first round as well when it comes to you know getting the submissions and getting the finishes. Uh, obviously, his last one with Antonio Hoyo, that went to three rounds. Uh, you know He was unsuccessful in a lot of his submission attempts. That armbar that he had you know right off the bat seemed like it was pretty tight, but Hoyo did a really good job in terms of getting out. Um, and then, you know, he, he did have his back in that second round, wasn't successful in terms of getting the submission there either. Um, I don't think he's Damian Maia level. Like, when I see a, a matchup like this, I do always try to compare it to, like, the Askren and Maia fight, but, like, we're talking about Askren, who's, like, super high-level wrestling, um, maybe on the downturn in terms of that being his last fight, and then Damian Maia, super high-level jiu-jitsu. Neither of these guys are like on the on those levels, uh, which makes me kind of think that Fabinski might be able to actually ride this one out. Um, you know, I, 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 it's crazy the amount of love that Munez is getting out there. Uh, but again, it's kind of understandable. But if you're backing Munez here, you're kind of thinking that all right, he's going to do it in the first round. You know, Fabinski's going to get him down when they're you know when they're dry, when uh, Munez is at his most powerful, where he's able to be most successful with his reversals. Uh, that's when he's going to get it. I'm not sure. You know, so this fight's going to be a, little, uh, a pass for me. I'm I'm really stumped here. I, I, I'm a big Fabinski fan, but obviously when you're betting and when you're gambling, you want to take those those feelings that you have out. But even when I take those feelings out, it's it's t- it's tough for me. Like I, I'm not. I, I was going into tape expecting to be more impressed with Munez by his jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. and his ability to get the finish. And yeah, he you know he does have some interesting uh, victories on his record. But we're talking about Fabinski, who's 15 and three. Yeah, his last loss was a guillotine, or yeah, his second last fight was a loss via guillotine choke. But that was in a fight where you know he was clearly stunned, clearly rocked, and then obviously gave up that submission. But the only other time he got submitted was his fifth fight in his pro career. That was back in 2012 against Marcin Bandel. Uh, who isn't too bad now? Eighteen and seven and one. Uh, you know, is a little bit of a journeyman over in that Polish scene. But uh, yeah, <sighs> fuck. It's so tough to pick a side here. I, I won't be betting it. At most, what I'd be betting maybe is Andre Munez to win inside round one, or even the submission prop if that's like plus four hundred or better. Um, Munez inside the distance is currently plus two eighty. Um, I would rather go specifically for that sub prop, which I expect to be between plus three fifty and plus four hundred. If you can get plus four hundred, that's probably the best way to go. But you know, I. I it's tough for me to see how Munez kind of wins a decision here. I do think that Fabinski will eventually start to wear on him, especially in that second and third round, and it's, he's just going to grind it out. The guy is a grinder. Uh, you know, he dealt with a serious cut against Darren Stewart in that first round and still was able to go out there and win those second two rounds and really put it on Stewart. Um, yeah, I like Fabinski here. Uh, I'm going to take him to win by decision, uh, but this fight is a pass for me. It's... I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how it goes, and I would rather not have any money on it to see how it actually plays out. Uh, at most, Andre Munez to win by submission in round one, or even just Munez to win in round one. Otherwise, I'm taking Fabinski to win this fight via decision. 
Tiago Moises versus Jalen Turner. We got minus 160 on Tiago and plus 140 on the Tarantula. The over-under uh, is at two and a half, and the under is set at minus 160. In my opinion, a little bit too juiced. But let's get into this fight. Let's start off with uh, the, the ever-popular, for some reason. A lot of people are really high now on uh, Jalen Turner. We got him opening at plus 170, now going down to plus 140. And it doesn't look like this this line has any room to stop. It's going to continuously drop. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Tiago Moises ends up closing as a minus 125 or minus 130 favorite. So let's start off with... Uh, Let's start off with, with Jalen Turner. He's coming off a squash match pretty much against Joshua uh, Kulibau. Uh, that was a short notice fight uh, for Kulibau as Jamie Malarkey had to pull out of that fight. And then in steps Kulibau just to allow Turner to continue fighting. And, uh, you know, Turner goes in there and just absolutely squashes him. Like he he has no issues with him, uh, pretty much toying with him on the feet, had a couple of closed guillotine chokes, and then eventually settles with the ground and pound finish in the second round, you know. Goes in there and does what he does. His other win in the UFC, same thing. Callum Potter goes in there, squashes him in less than a minute. You know, uh, his two losses in the UFC, you you can't really fault him for the Vicente Luque one. You know, that, I believe that one was sh- uh, short notice as well too. Uh, and Luque is a very very high level opponent, so you can't really again you can't really uh, squash him too much for that. The Matt Frivola one really showed a, a lot of holes in the Tarantula's game. You know, it seemed like uh, uh, Frivola had some ease in terms of getting Turner down uh, and just controlling him from that position. I know that Turner is a brown belt, uh, but it didn't seem like he was a little bit threatening off of his back. And he did make things a little bit harder than it should be for Frivola. But uh, the lack of takedown defense was very concerning on Jalen Turner's part uh, on the feet. He looks good. You know, he doesn't carry a, a ton of power or anything like that, but he's efficient with his striking. He seems to hold his distance quite well. He uses his quick kicks well too. And he's a huge guy for that division as well. He's 6'3 at uh, 155 pounds with a 75 and a half inch reach. Uh, that's going to obviously be an advantage here over uh, the 5'9 and 70 and a half inch reach of uh, Tiago Moises. Um, I think a lot of the, the the love coming in on Turner here is the potential that he shows. But, you know, at, at a certain point, you got to throw that out the window and just take what you see from the tape and what you see in the cage. And we know what Tiago Moises' game is or what he's strongest at. And that's getting guys to the ground uh, and implementing his jiu-jitsu. Now, I'm not saying that his takedown game is like super high level. I do believe that Frivola is the better wrestler. So I think that's why he had a lot of success getting this fight to the ground. But I think that when Tiago Moises really wants to turn it on and like, you know, rush for a takedown or really get desperate for a takedown, he can be successful just as we saw in the Michael Johnson fight. You know, we saw him being a pretty much a sitting duck in that first round and then, uh, you know, turning it on in that second round, pretty much rushing in for a takedown, uh, you know, snatching up the leg of Michael Johnson and then, you know, pulling off that heel hook finish. I don't think that we're going to see Tiago Moises pull off a heel hook finish here, but I think his desperation takedown will allow him to be successful in getting this fight to the ground and actually pulling off, uh, you know, I, I think he could grind out the tarantula here. Um, I do believe that Moises is the much better jiu-jitsu player uh, overall. Uh, you know, brown belt or not for Jalen Turner, uh, Tiago Moises is a high-level jiu-jitsu guy. Uh, MMA jiu-jitsu, 
that's still to be determined. <laughs> you know, I, I want to see, I think we'll see it a little bit tested here, but I do think we'll see Moises pass it with flying colors. Um, there's a huge amount of love for Jalen Turner, like massive. Um, even if you look at the Bet MMA Tips page right now, there's like four people betting on Tiago Moises, and I don't blame them. You know what I mean? Uh, well, I don't blame the people that jumped on Jalen Turner a little bit earlier. At plus 175, plus 180, I understand it. I get it. You know, the guy has really good striking. He's obviously going to outgun Tiago Moises on the feet the only thing Moises really has on the feet is like a head kick you know that's that's pretty much it he doesn't really throw in combinations yeah you know he gets very stifled when opponents are having success on the feet uh but when he starts to chase the takedowns um and a similar fight that we saw with a guy with somewhat of a similar build and Robert Wadley uh, at LFA 17, I believe that was a title fight. Wadley was able to just 50-45 Tiago Moises uh, with, you know, solid takedown defense and pretty much just sticking a jab in his face and, and staying on him pretty much for the full five rounds. Um, I I find it hard to believe that Jalen Turner will be able to do that for 15 minutes without getting taken down. That that takedown defense is a huge hole that I just can't overlook, in my opinion. I, I think a lot of people are comfortable with thinking that, okay, even if Taylor Turner gets taken down he might find a reversal he might be able to you know uh be safe on the ground but that's not enough in terms of winning the judges scorecards you know i mean i think tiago moises will be able to get this fight to the ground i think he you know as long as he doesn't get knocked out in the first round uh he could easily squeak out the second and third rounds by getting this fight to the ground so if this line continues to close and we get the minus 125 or minus 130 on tiago moises i'm you know you guys might be forcing my hand at that point i think the value starts to shift towards Tiago Moises the closer that this line gets um until we see Jalen Turner uh you know rectify his takedown defense issues um uh, or if we see him in this fight you know uh you know stuff the takedowns or, or even if he gets taken down and we sh- we see like this level of jiu-jitsu that we haven't really seen from him before where he's able to reverse a high level guy like Tiago Moises get on top and start doing damage I'm going to be a little bit of a skeptic, especially when he's going up against a guy that has the grappling pedigree of Tiago Moises. So I'm going to side with Tiago Moises here. I'm going to go with him to win this fight by decision. Um, I think the over two and a half has a little bit of value. Um, you know, I I, I, fi- I don't know if we'll see Moises get the finish, uh, but I do think that uh, he'll have success in staying on top of Turner, passing the guard, landing some damage from up there, and then we could see maybe Jalen Turner retain guard, but there's just going to be kind of a rinse and repeat for Tiago Moises. So I like Moises to win this fight via decision. Shout out to anybody that got the value on Turner at plus 175 and above, in my opinion. Uh, But we got Tiago Moises winning this fight with easy takedowns and top control uh, and en route to a decision victory. Brian Kelleher versus Kevin Natividad. We got minus 220 on Kelleher, plus 180 on the UFC newcomer at Natividad. Um, I believe Kelleher was actually supposed to fight somebody else and in steps Natividad. Yeah, uh, Kelleher was supposed to fight Ricky Simone. I believe one of Simone's cornermen contract, yeah, one of his cornermen tested positive for COVID-19. So they just took precautions and pulled Ricky Simone out. In steps UFC newcomer Kevin Natividad, who just fought recently at LFA 85. That was back in July. Um, so it's been about two months since he's fought. Uh, but at least, you know, he's been able to remain active 
during this whole COVID situation. Um, this fight should be fun. You know, I mean, I think that uh, Kevin's going to want to go in there and try to make a statement and uh, really kind of stamp his arrival into the UFC. Uh, but he has a tough test in Brian Kelleher, uh, you know, coming right back at him. Uh, Kelleher obviously staying busy during this COVID situation. This is going to be his third fight in four months. Um, he started off the stretch with a beautiful win over Hunter Azure. Uh, again, like I, if you guys watched the Azure breakdown, uh, I had Azure hard in that fight. Uh, and I was very impressed with Kelleher's takedown defense and then ability to continue continuously land shots uh, no matter what was coming back his way didn't even worry too much about the takedown threat either um, so it looked great there and then in the Cody Stamen fight he just got completely outgunned everywhere you know Cody Stamen is a much better overall fighter than Hunter Azure and he was able to show in that Kelleher fight if you were to compare them side by side you know Cody had great movement in and out ability to mix in takedowns just an overall better MMA game uh, he showed out there uh, and it was a tough fight for Kelleher luckily for Kelleher he has a little bit more of a um, you know not as well-rounded of a fighter as Cody Stamen uh, or not as quick and as powerful or actually I, you know what I, I backtrack uh, the the powerful thing Kevin Natividad does actually have a lot of power in his shots so that's something that should be should make this fight even more interesting um, I think if anybody's going to be going for a takedown it'll probably be Natividad um, but I do think that Keller has some Kelleher has some solid submission, uh, you know, submissions up his sleeve as well. So even if it does hit the ground, I don't think he'll be completely a fish out of water. Um, I do expect this fight to stay on the feet, though. I think that's where Kelleher wants to keep it. And I think that's where he's going to be successful in terms of keeping it there. Um, I expect these guys to throw bombs, you know, and I truly believe that one of them is going to go down and we'll either get a club and sub situation or we'll get an actual just full out KO. Um, they have the under two and a half at minus 120. I love that line. I really like that line. You guys know I love violence bets. You guys know I love unders. Um, and th there's a good chance that we could see here. I fully expect these guys to be slinging leather for at least two rounds or so, and somebody's going to eventually drop in and, and get the finish. Um, I lean a little bit more towards Brian Kelleher. You guys know my... Uh, you guys know how I feel about betting on uh, on UFC newcomers, but even just looking at it, I don't think that there is much value on Natividad. Um, he doesn't do anything exceptionally well, and I think that Kelleher is just too much of a veteran um, to to really succumb to anything here that Natividad has to offer. When I'm talking about veteran, we're talking about uh, Kelleher coming into here with his 33rd MMA fight. This is only going to be the 11th for Kevin Natividad. Natividad made his M pro MMA debut back in November of 2016. And in November of 2016, um, Kelleher was pretty much already in the UFC. He had a win over Julio Arce. And then about a year and three months later, he makes his UFC debut against Yuri Alcantara and gets a submission victory uh, pretty much right off the bat. But he made his UFC debut way back in 2011. So he has a solid five years or so on Natividad uh, when it comes to pro MMA experience. And in terms of fighting like high-level guys, even in his regional promotions, uh, Jimmy Rivera, Scott Heckman, who's decent back in the day, um, Andy Main, uh, Andre Sukumtat, Julio Arce. These are all uh, Julio Arce twice. He beat him twice. Majority decision the first time, and then guillotine choke in the second fight. Uh, and that's just pre UFC. And then in the UFC, you got Yuri Alcantara, Marlon Vera, Damian Stasiak, uh, Hennen Barrow, John Lineker, Montel Jackson, 
Hunter Azure and then Cody Stamen. He has a solid resume under his belt, uh, and I think he's just seen pretty much everything that you could be thrown uh, his way. He's a, he's a veteran of the game, uh, and I truly expect him to to thrive here. This is a good matchup for him. This is a, a matchup for him to go out there and get a solid finish. Uh, so I do like the under two and a half in this fight. Uh, you know, I do think that Kelleher has a solid chin. Um, you know, the only person to really knock him out in recent memory is John Lineker and they call him hands of stone for a fucking reason. Uh, so I like Kelleher to win this fight. I think boom goes the dynamite. I think we see Natividad just drop, uh, quickly touching on Natividad's only loss. It was a nine second loss to a guy that was, who's now four and three. Uh, but back then it was just a quick flash knockout, uh, beautifully placed left hook by, uh, Jeff Baker, something Baker, let me just get that guy's name right. Give him a little bit of a shout out. Glenn Baker. I think I was 36 at the time too. That's something to note. But he landed a beautifully uh, timed left hook, dropped Kevin Natividad, and then just followed up with some shots there. And it was uh, it was a solid victory for him there. But uh, since then, he's been able to put together five straight victories, uh, three of them via finish. Uh, both of these guys are finishers, so I expect a finish here as well too. So I'm taking Brian Kelleher to win this fight via, I'm going to say first round KO. I think he, he gets it early uh when he has his most power and uh he catches kevin kevin slipping and then gets that uh knockout punch so once again brian kelleher to win this fight via first round knockout michelle pajera versus zalim imadayev we got minus 115 on zalim and minus 105 on pajera pretty much a pick em here uh the over under is set at one and a half with the over being minus 150 and you know as crazy and wacky as these guys are it's understandable you know i mean i could absolutely see a case in a scenario here where both of these guys are kind of just throwing a lot of wacky and spinny shit and nobody really landing clean enough uh and then you know this goes over that seven and a half minute mark um or we could see the possible chin issues of Zalim and i have showcased themselves uh you know paeda is just such a uh, a powerful striker and if he's able to land uh you know clean enough he could absolutely put you out uh i will give him and i have a little bit of a benefit of the doubt again uh in that fight against danny roberts where that punch that roberts landed was just picture perfect like there couldn't have been a uh, a better shot uh for anybody to land you know the, the wind up uh mixed in with just landing perfectly on the button to just pretty much turn over imadayev it, it was insane it was the perfect shot um and if anybody lands that even if michael bisbing fucking lands that shot he's putting out anybody um but uh, yeah, that's it should be a fun fight. I'm not sure how anybody could really be confident in betting either side here. I have a hard time really putting my finger on uh, who I believe is going to win. Um, I have a hard time on choosing the over-under here too. Um, in my books, this is kind of the definition of a pass fight. But you guys come to me for definitive uh, uh, predictions and definitive uh, uh, statements. So I'll do my best. But I am putting an asterisk out there. This fight is just complete chaos. And, you know, shout out to Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard for, you know, matching these two guys up together considering their styles and considering how uh, fan-friendly uh, of a style that they have of fighting uh, with the spinning shit, with the flying shit, with the, you know, pretty much, a, um, uh, pretty much with a, uh, a focus 
on on striking. You know, what I mean, neither of these guys really try to go out there and try to take other opponents down. Uh, I think both of them have a little bit of an ego too, which will kind of uh, play into a factor here with both guy, both guys wanting to go out there and just strike and try to land that knockout blow. Um, from Michelle Pereira, last time we saw around, we saw him kind of uh, learn from his mistakes in that Tristan Connolly fight. You know, he did miss weight in that fight, I'm pretty certain. And then he comes out there, throws a bunch of spinning shit in that first round, gasses himself out, and we see Tristan Connolly go out there and, and spring a huge upset. You know, took that fight on super short notice and was able to go out there, grind out Michelle Pereira while avoiding uh, significant damage. Uh, Zalim and Medayev, on the other hand, um, you know, coming off a loss to da- Danny Roberts, uh, it's his first like legit loss uh, in terms of like being completely knocked out. Uh, that one was really rough for him to take. Obviously, he lost that majority decision to to Max Griffin uh, the fight before that, but this one was probably very devastating for him. And he did make the switch over to uh, Mark Henry's camp after that Max Griffin fight. Unfortunately, it did not pay off for him in the Danny Roberts fight. Um you know, Pajera, we I, I do like what we saw in, from him in the Sanchez fight. We saw a little bit more composure. We saw him go late into that fight and still have the gas tank to go out there and put good pressure on Diego Sanchez, land good shots. Uh, and, and, you know, he was decisively winning that fight leading up to that illegal knee. Uh, so it's it's unfortunate for the, the Michelle Pajera backers in that fight. Very fortunate for anybody who took the shot on Sanchez. I was very, very close to taking the shot there. Very, very close. Um, but I'm glad I didn't. Uh, but then again, you know, I'm, I'm glad I didn't in the aspect of Diego Sanchez didn't go out there and do what I kind of expected him to do. Uh, but it would have been nice to cash that regardless by any means necessary, right? Um but but getting back to this fight with Imadayev, I, I I have no clue. Like we could see Imadayev kind of outlast Pajera here, uh, depending on the pace that these guys put. I could see a situation here where Michelle Pajera lands a knockout blow on Imadayev as well too. The guy is huge. Like he looks like he should be a 185 or compared to a 170 he's 6'1 with a 73 inch reach uh on the other hand we got six foot and 76 inch reach for Imadive. but when you guys see these face when you see these guys face off with one another you're going to see that there's a huge size difference uh in favor of Michelle Pajera so it's it's tough for me to pick a side here um I'll go with I'll go with Imadayev um I feel like if if anybody does have a little bit more variety in terms of an MMA game, it's going to be a Madaev. Um And I do think he might have the slight cardio advantage here too, but it, it's so tough to get a read on either guy. Um, I'll go with a Madaev probably to win this fight by, by let's call it second round TKO, uh, maybe even decision. Again, this fight has me so flustered. I really don't know which way to go here. Sajara Eubanks versus Carol Rosa, I should say, Brazilian. So, R's, H's, you guys know how it goes. Uh, minus 130 for Rosa, plus 110 for Sajara Eubanks. Um, in terms of the opening, it was minus 180 for Carol Rosa, and now she's being bet down to minus 130. So, there is a little bit of love coming in on Sajara Eubanks. So, let's start off with Carol Rosa. Um, Initially, I wasn't too impressed with her when I was going back to like I, I like to when I'm not too familiar with some of these women or some of these fighters, I like to go back like deeper into their fights uh, pre UFC and kind of see like what they were working with who they were going up against and, uh, you know, the improvements that they've made since uh, those fights. 
So I went back as early as uh, 2018 March when she lost to Larissa Pacheco, who is a UFC vet herself. I believe she was also on the Ultimate Fighter. Um, but yeah, uh, that was a fight where Carol Hosa. It, it was so weird. Like she she kept engaging in the grappling and the uh, and trying to get the takedowns. And then anytime she would get the takedowns, uh, Pacheco was successful in terms of like uh, you know uh, reversing the position pretty much immediately. And then when we saw Larissa Pacheco get a a guillotine choke. It was a weird guillotine too, because it didn't look the tightest. It was a standing guillotine, um, but yeah, Pacheco was able to get the victory there. Uh, she comes back and gets a victory over a woman that was one and zero, so that wasn't too impre- impressive. Uh, fight after that fights Melissa Gatto who's a fighter that's actually signed to the UFC, but just has had so many issues in terms of tri- um, injuries. Um, visa issues, all that type of stuff. So Gato's been, uh, you know, waiting to make her UFC debut, uh, but she hasn't. But in that fight against, uh, in that fight with Hosa and Gato, uh, you know, Hosa did a decent job on the feet. Uh, she was able to secure takedowns a couple times, uh, and then Gato just got this ridiculous position where it was like a she got the 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 triangle choke um, position, like she got her legs locked up uh, in that figure four position. Uh, and uh, had Hosa trapped, and then she started working on the opposite arm to get the Kimura, and it was a beautiful submission from uh, Gato, like it was something that uh, very few people are able to pull off, so that was a a solid uh, victory for Gato there, so it really made me question, you know, why did Hosa always uh, engage in the grappling, and I do, I just recently found out that she's actually a brown belt, so maybe, you know, she was very, um, uh, she was very much behind that, thinking that she'd be able to go out there and, and just, uh, you know, submit all of her opponents. And then, you know, those two fights happened. And since then, she's really taken a liking to her striking. And it's worked out pretty well for her. Obviously, we did see a little bit of grappling in the Vanessa Mello fight. Uh, she didn't really want to mess too much with Procopio on the ground, as Procopio was the better jiu-jitsu player at that time. Um, the Giselle Mojea fight, I, I kind of write that one off too. You know, the girl was 38 going into that fight. The fight before that, uh, Tamir's Vidal, another 1-0 fighter. So she beats Mojea, gets into the UFC, goes to a split decision with Procopio, and then beats uh, Vanessa Mello by uh, decision. In a, in a fight where Mello missed weight by, I believe, like five or six pounds, it was a pretty bad miss for her. But uh, I like what I see from Hosa in terms of, you know, she is a brown belt, but her striking looks efficiently good. Like, she looks like a, a woman that... Um, you know, she she throws in combinations. One of her favorite combinations to throw is the jab, overhand right, followed up by inside leg kick. And her ability to stay on that leg kick for as often as she does, and it's not a calf kick, but it's just a regular leg kick to, to keep her opponent thinking. I'm very much impressed by that. Like, I think that's a good trait to have. Uh, she does train with Jessica Andrade. Uh, she doesn't have the Andrade type of style where it's just like, you know, chin down and just weaving hooks and blitzing her opponent. But she's a little bit more efficient there you know um she uses an educated jab her movement is pretty uh, good uh her head movement could use a little bit of work because uh, she is hittable but her uh output is very impressive and i think that might be the edge here against sajara eubanks so eubanks on the other hand uh she has a very salty record for somebody that was like a fight away from uh from being a champion and i mean that she was supposed to fight i believe nico montano uh coming off that um what was it the uh uh, the Ultimate Fighter Season 26 when they are crowning the first ever flyweight champion. Uh, she misses weight. Uh, Roxanne Modafferi steps in against um, 
against Nico Mantegna and the rest is history. We already know about that. So Sajar Eubanks comes back, uh, beats Lauren Murphy and Roxanne Modafferi in fights where I believe, yeah, the Modafferi fight, she missed weight by two and a half pounds. Uh, did she miss weight in the... No, she didn't miss weight in the Murphy fight, but she did miss weight in the Roxanne Modafferi fight and she comes back um, and fights Aspen Ladd uh, loses that fight. That was actually a rematch that they had uh, from Invicta. And then she comes back and again loses to Betch Cohea, who, if you guys have been watching me for a while, you guys know that I don't think that Cohea is really that good of a fighter. You know, I, I, I missed the opportunity to fight her last time around when she, I can't remember who she lost to, but she just lost recently. Um, and then uh, she uh, Eubanks comes back and beats Sarah Morass in a fight where Morass, you know, she, she's more of a grappler. She wants to get the fight to the ground. She wants to try to pull off submissions off of her back um, if she finds herself in that position. Um, not the best striker, you know, very rudimentary on the feet. So Sajara was able to take advantage of that. Um, now, this is a fight where both women are fighting uh, somebody that has something to offer on the feet. I think Sajara's best bet here is actually to get this fight to the ground and kind of test the uh, the M MMA jiu-jitsu of Carol Hosa. You know, I mean, you may be a brown belt when it comes to just pure jiu-jitsu, but when it comes to actual MMA jiu-jitsu, it's a little bit different. But that's not something that we've seen a lot from Sajara in the, you know, most recently. Both women have fell in love with their hands, have fell in love with their striking, but I got to give the slight edge to Carol Hosa here. You know, she's a little bit more efficient. She seems to have a little bit more in the gas tank when the third round comes. Um, you know, Sajara, I'm not, I'm not completely saying that she's a, a sitting duck when it comes to the third round, uh, but her shots just don't have as much pop. Her shots just, you know, they look a lot more labored, whereas Keller Hosa is still out there, still throwing combinations in the third round. Um, I'd be interested to see how this fight would play out if it did hit the ground, but I do feel like we'll see a striking battle here. And if that's the case, I got to give the slight advantage to Keller Hosa. Um, Again, it's going to come down to output the sustainability over five or over fifteen minutes, um, and I think that Hosa is going to have Eubanks beat here. Um, you know, I, I, I tried going into this thinking, okay, Eubanks may have a little bit of value at that plus one ten line that she's at, just uh, that she's at strictly due to her UFC uh, experience. Um, she, her striking has looked decent. Um, you know, her jiu-jitsu, she, she's been known for her jiu-jitsu, but we just haven't seen her use it as often. Uh, and then Carol Hosa, on the other hand, you know, she looks like a complete fighter. She looks like a fighter that uh, is continuously getting better and better with every single fight. And this is a good uh, kind of stepping stone for her to see where her talent and her skills are actually at against a, somewhat of a tested Sajara Eubanks. So I will go with Carol Rosa here. I do think she outpoints uh, Eubanks en route to a decision. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 a close fight. And the odd suggestion, and I completely understand, but the minus 180 opener for Carol Hosa was a little bit of a... That was somebody was drunk over there when they made that line. Uh, you know, if I were to get plus one sixty or plus one eighty on uh, Sajara Eubanks, I'd say closer to plus one eighty, plus one eighty five. Uh, I'd probably pull the trigger on Eubanks because I feel like she would have value there. But uh, Carolosa close to that minus one thirty range, not that bad of a line. You know, what I mean, I, I do like I said, I do believe she outpoints Eubanks here. She's going to be the more efficient striker. She throws with a lot more variety. She may not have a lot of punching power or anything like that. Uh, I do want to confirm how many finishes she has on a record so she pretty much outlasts a 38 year old Giselle Mojea en route to a uh, a victory I believe it was ground and pound in round three uh she has an arm triangle choke in round three 
uh, she has a doctor stoppage round three. That was a fight where she completely busted the woman up uh, and had like a hematoma growing out of that that woman's face. Uh, so the the referee pretty much just stopped it on the, on the spot. Uh, another corner stoppage, um, an armbar victory. So she has stoppages on her record, but I think that Sajara is a little you know she's she's durable. I'll give her that. So I think she'll stay in the fight, but I think that we'll just see Hosa go out there and win this fight via decision. This is the rebooking of Alonzo Menafield versus Ovin St. Prue after St. Prue had to pull out due to testing positive for COVID the day of the fight. Uh, I believe it was two weeks ago, the Munoz and Edgar card, they were actually supposed to fight um, and uh, OSP pulls out. So uh, I don't think that there has been much that has changed since then. I don't think the COVID thing uh, will significantly, uh, you know, uh, screw the outcome of this fight or change the outcome of this fight. So I feel like the last breakdown I did for this fight uh, was pretty on the nose, and I don't know if I'd be able to recreate it. Um, you know, I feel it useless to actually go back and watch all the tape again and try to refresh my memory to the point of, you know, being able to break it down for that eight or nine minutes that I was able to for the last podcast. So... I'm going to be a cheap motherfucker and uh, and just pretty much stitch that breakdown to the end of this video so that you guys can, uh, you know, pretty much hear my thoughts on that fight once again, because uh, I don't think I could recreate what I was able to do in that breakdown. So here you go. Uh, my breakdown of OSP versus Alonzo Menafield. Ovin St. Prue versus Alonzo Menafield. We got minus 135 on Menafield and plus 115 on OSP. Let's start off with OSPs coming off a loss to Ben Rothwell. Uh, that was his 21st UFC fight, yet it was only his first fight at uh, heavyweight. So um, according to some of the guys on the broadcast, that was more circumstantial than it was an actual, uh, you know, real and serious move to heavyweight. So I'm sure he just wanted to go in there and get a, uh, a paycheck against a guy in Ben Rothwell who, you know, was able to test his skills. Um, you know, I did answer a couple of questions in terms of his cardio, his ability to deal with bigger guys, uh, and the durability of his chin. You know, considering how hard Ben Rothwell hits, um, it was impressive to me that OSP was able to take those shots and a lot of those clean shots and keep on chugging along. Um, I think the narrative of OSP being chinny is a little bit overblown. Uh, the last time we saw him get knocked out was 2016. Uh, that was his fight right after he fought John Jones, uh, where he got knocked out by Jimmy Manoa. And in that time, he has gotten knocked down three times, but he has yet to be finished via strikes uh, since that Jimmy Manoa fight. So I do think that uh, narrative of his chin being gone is a little bit overblown. Um, we know his submission acumen. Uh, we know about the whole Von Pru choke. Um, you know, he has decent striking. His kicks are very well, uh, very well utilized as well. Um, he seems to, to 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 have a little bit of a slow start, um, and sometimes does kind of accept the his back against the cage. But when he wants to turn it on, he's able to do a good job of getting out of those bad situations. Um, you know, we've sh seen that he can eat damage and still come back and win a fight, like his Mikhail Oleg Shajuk fight. Um, He's a veteran. You know, this is going to be his 39th fight uh, and his 22nd fight in the UFC. You know, that that's a lot of experience, especially going up against a guy who's only coming into his 11th pro MMA fight. Uh, and let's actually t check the statistic in, statistics in terms of when Menafield made his pro debut. So Menafield made his pro debut in Bellator uh, November of 2015. 
2015, uh, St. Pru was 17 and 6. So he, he had already had 23 fights up until that point uh, and was getting ready to gear up to fight Glover Teixeira in a main event uh, before Menafield even, you know, made his uh, pro MMA debut. So that's something important to remember. Uh, Menafield, it seems like the entirety of his career, he's just gotten away with knocking guys out in the first round. There was one fight where he managed to get into the second round and finish that guy within 32 seconds. There was his second fight as well, uh, which was 22 seconds into round two. But, you know, everything up until the Devin Clark fight was no longer than six minutes because he's always able to go out there and get these guys out of there and they just crumple under his pressure and his knockout power. Uh, Devin Clark, on the other hand, uh, had other plans. You know, he was able to clinch up Menafield against the cage. He was able to drain him there. He landed a couple good shots too. And then we could visibly see that Menafield was, you know, slower, didn't have as much pop in his punches after round one. Um, and yeah, he did land a couple good combinations and did hit Devin Clark pretty well. Uh, but it wasn't anything that was, you know, crazy or, or making you think that uh, he was going to finish the fight. I think if OSP is able to withstand that first round, um, if he's able to use his veteran, you know, uh, IQ, uh, use good movement, use his kicks to kind of keep Menafield away, or even try to just tie up Menafield, push him up against the cage and kind of drain him that way, I think it would be very successful. One thing I will give Menafield is he did show pretty good takedown defense uh, against a, a pretty good wrestler in Devin Clark, but I don't think that's really going to be the way that OSP is going to go about it. Um, you know, I think we'll, we will see OSP um, be a little bit more successful too. You know, being a taller guy, being a bigger guy as well compared to, compared to Devin Clark will have its advantages here. Um, I'd be very surprised to see Devin Clark go out there and be uh is stamina wise a much better fighter than he was you know just over two and a half months ago you can't make those types of um those those types of uh you can't come to those types of conclusions uh without actually seeing it in the cage in terms of him showing up his cardio issues uh i try i like to lump him into the to the francis Ngannou, the the uh, abdul razak al hassan and even most recently the edmund shabazian thing where if once we see this guy outside of the first round or even outside of six minutes he doesn't look the greatest and we've seen osp you know go to third rounds plenty of times we've seen him go five rounds with john jones we've seen him you know just he has just so much experience that he should be able to beat a one-dimensional fighter in my opinion in alonzo menafield here and the fact that you're giving me plus money on this spot too i'm willing to take my chances into thinking that osp is not gonna you know, get cracked with something in the first round and he should be able to survive and get to the second and third round and possibly either get a submission. Um, I saw the profit that was roughly around plus 325. Not too bad. Uh, plus 710-ish for TKO. That's not that bad of a line either. You know, what if he does get um, uh, Alon's mental field down in the late rounds? What if he gets his back but he just can't sink in a choke or anything like that? He can TKO him, ground and pound. So I don't think that, uh, yeah, I think the plus 710 is a little bit crazy. Um, plus 400-ish for the, the in, uh, for OSP to win by decision. Not too bad either, but I truly think that he gets it done inside the distance here. Um, for him, though, he really needs to make sure that he doesn't get clipped um, in that first round. If he gets clipped in that first round um, and dropped and finished, 
I'm I'm completely okay with with that. You know, I mean, if that's your only win condition or your only path to victory, I'm willing to take it, especially against a guy who has as much veteran experience as OSP. So he's going to have to be on his bicycle, use his kicks to keep Manifield on the outside, or clinch up, push him up against the cage, and uh, you know negate the power or the amount of power that Alonzo Manifield can generate. Uh, and then we can see OSP be very successful in this fight. So... Um, you know, Menafield does have, have the advantage of having a really good coach of Safe Sayud in his corner, uh, but OSP has been with his coach uh, for a long time, so they have a very good relationship, uh, and I'm sure they could figure out a way to to go out there and beat this, in my opinion, like I said, a one-dimensional fighter in Alonzo Menafield. So I'm taking OSP here. I'm going to take him to win by second or third round. Uh, I want to say ground and pound. Like, it'd be weird for me. I don't know why it's. I see more of a GNP finish than an actual, like, Von Prue choke or a, or a rear naked choke or an arm triangle or something. Um, I think, I personally, I think it'll either be an arm triangle or a GNP finish. So I wouldn't mind taking a little bit of a sprinkle on both of those props, uh, sub or... Um, sub or, or TKO. I just wanted to see quickly what the inside the distance is, though. Uh, same prudence of the distance plus 220 so just get a little bit crazier with it you know you can sprinkle in a little bit uh von pru or sorry uh, same pru by sub at plus 325 or same pru by tko at plus 715 so uh yeah i got same pru here by second or third round stoppage time for the main event we got alistair Overream at minus 150, taking on Augusto or Augusto Sakai uh, at plus 130. Uh, the over-under is set at one and a half, and uh, the over is minus 190, and I completely understand that. Uh, you know, I, I wish it was closer to minus 150-ish, as I probably probably would have taken a shot there. Uh, but I do think we'll see a bit of an, a conservative approach from either guy here. So let's start off with Augusto Sakai. First main event in the UFC. He's rolling right now, too. He's undefeated in the UFC, as well as two fights before he had a, a victory. So he's riding a, what is that, five, six-fight winning streak. But that Blagoy-Ivanov fight was very, very uh, close. Um, split decision, um, victory for him. But uh, the one thing everybody will remember from that fight is uh, Augusto Sakai blatantly grabbing the cage, uh, you know, stuffing, uh, which allowed him to stuff the takedown from Ivanov and then ride out the rest of that round and win that round. Um, yeah, very, very close fight. If uh, Ivanov was able to secure that takedown, this could have been a very, very different outcome. And we probably would have gotten, probably would have got Overeem versus Ivanov in this fight. Um, however, here we are with Sakai. Um, you know, solid Muay Thai fighter, uh, moves kind of well for a heavyweight his size, um, but I think he's running into some trouble with Overeem here. If he's not able to get Overeem out in that first round like he has been able to with Martin Taibura, uh, he did finish Chase Sherman a little bit later, but <laughs> Alistair Overeem's no Chase Sherman. Um, I think he's going to have a lot of trouble, uh, you know, capturing victory outside of the first round here over him you know he's turned a corner in his career like he he's gone from you know pretty much just seeking the knockout to you know having a more methodical type of fight trying to go in there and just slowly finish his opponents or not just finish but uh slowly 
wear on his opponents, and then uh, just let the finish come to him. Uh, the one issue that we do find with Overeem still is he does find himself getting caught. And that's kind of what gives me pause. You know, I mean, uh, I think the best thing to do in this fight would be to kind of just sit back and just live bet it. You know, I mean, if Overeem gets out of that first round, there's a good chance that he might be an underdog coming out of that first round too, as Sakai, in my opinion, will have the most amount of success in that first round. But outside of that, we're going to see Overeem start to wear on Sakai. We're going to see him push him up against the cage. If you guys go back and watch that Czech Congo fight, Congo had a lot of success in terms of keeping Sakai up against the cage. Uh, maybe not the most success in terms of taking him down, but that's where I think that Overeem will be able to succeed where Czech Congo had failed. Um, we'll see Overeem get the finish, or not the finish, well, probably the finish later in the fight, but we'll, we'll see him finish takedowns. Well, you know, the, the, the work that he's been doing over there in Denver uh, with Team Elevation, it's been nothing but good for him. Him. Uh, since that Curtis Blades loss, he's just been like, you know, moving on forward, uh, really trusting his grappling. Uh, even before he came to the UFC, he had legit jiu-jitsu victories or submission victories under his belt. He has legit jiu-jitsu credentials as well. He has a ton to offer as a total MMA fighter. A lot of people just think that he's a, a high-level kickboxer. That's not where it stops for Orbeam. Go back, do your research. The guy has, what is it now, 54, 64. This is going to be a 65th fight. He's been he made his pro debut in 1999. He's been fighting for 21 years. Um, he has a ton of experience. He has skills all over the place. The only issue at this point in his career has been his chin. So that's kind of what's giving me pause at that minus one. What is it? Minus one fifty. Minus minus one fifty for Overeem. If this was closer to a pick'em, I'd probably take the shot. Um, I have seen a little bit of love on Sakai come earlier in the week. As the week has progressed, it seems like the line is slowly getting worse for Alistair Overeem. But who knows where it's going to be coming closer to the fight? I believe that we'll see the line get a little bit wider. You know, Overeem has the bigger name. A lot, of, Not a lot of people are familiar with Sakai. They're going to be like, all right, Overeem is fighting this no-name guy. He's probably going to go in there and dust him. And that, in my opinion, will affect the line. Um, I, I, I do think that Overeem is better everywhere. You know what I mean? I do think he's the better kickboxer. I do think he's the better grappler. Um, he will have success in the cage. He'll be the stronger guy, too. Um, you know, obviously, he's not Uberim anymore, but he still has strength. His durability seems to, you know, hold up a little bit now. He did get finished by Jorginho with that one punch at the end. Uh, but again, if you watch that fight and if you watch that finish, you could easily make an argument that, you know, that fight probably shouldn't have been stopped. Overeem was pretty much right back to his uh, feet. I believe he was shooting for a takedown as well, too. Uh, but I believe it was Jorginho kind of just walking off and already celebrating that kind of forced a stoppage. And obviously, yeah, his lip would, was busted, but you got four seconds left in the fight. <laughs> You know what I mean? You could easily make it th those four seconds without the lip really even being seen. But I think uh, it really helped with Rosenstrike kind of walking off. If he had followed up with a couple of punches, the referee probably would have given Overeem a little bit of time to kind of react and try to get his wits about him. But uh, yeah, Jorginho was just like, you know what, that one punch was all I needed. And luckily for him, it kind of mentally worked uh, in terms of the ref just stepping in there and be like, all right, no, fuck this fight. It's done, it's done. Um, but yeah, we could easily be talking about an Overeem that's on a four-fight winning streak. Uh, but here he is coming off of that one victory over Walters, where... 
you know, I, I'll I'll admit I was a little bit skeptical in terms of Wolverine uh, and his durability and being able to withstand the power coming his way from Walters. And let's give it up to him. He ate a huge shot. He got dropped. Uh, he was able to survive. Maybe another referee probably would have stopped that fight, but he was still able to stay in there. Uh, and I believe it was the same referee that he had in the Rosa Strike fight as he had in the Harris fight. So be consistent you know what i mean but either way uh over made some huge shots in that first round but then he was able to come back reverse the position and pretty much stay on top of walters who seemed to have blown his load trying to finish alistair over him i don't think that we'll see sakai kind of blow his load uh early in that fight so it's it's gonna come down to Overeem's durability, Overeem's ability to to close the distance without taking too much damage, uh, stifle the power of Sakai, um, and kind of just you know wear on him against the cage. Kind of just uh, you, you know suck the wind out of Sakai, drag this fight to the ground if he's able to, because I do believe he'll have a massive adva- advantage there. And we have seen like uh, Overeem's uh, improvements in that realm in terms of just being able to maintain the top position, looking for position over submission or uh, position over you know just any damage, secure that position first, and then start to st- rain down strikes. Um, so yeah, I like Overeem to win this fight. I wish we got a little bit of a closer line too, though. Uh, but, you know, I'll keep my eye on it throughout fight week. Um, who knows where the line is going to go either way. Uh, but in my opinion, but again, I'm not the best at line predictions. I do think that we'll see the line get a little bit wider just due to the name value of Alistair Overeem. But I will take Overeem to win this fight probably by third or fourth round stoppage. He's just going to continuously take Sakai down and just wear on him. Uh, I don't know if it'll be a submission, but I think that we'll just see him uh, slowly pound out Augustus Sakai um, to to win that fight. So I'm going with over him third or fourth round TKO. And those are the breakdowns for UFC on Vegas 9. I hope you guys enjoyed them. Hope it gave you guys some insight and helped you decide on uh, what side you're going to be betting or if you're just going to be passing on certain fights now. Um, last plug Patreon description below. Check all that out. Super cheap. You guys are getting a ton of value over there. And uh, also, if you do your own due diligence and you do your own research, tape index. I have that in the description below too. Saves you a bunch of time. I'm sure a lot of you out there who bet on MMA have other jobs, have a nine to five, have wife, have kids, have family that you got to spend time with. So let's help you break down and and you know cut in half, not even half, cut in. 99% of the browsing time for you guys bookmark the tape index go to the tape index whenever you guys want to do your research we have everything you need on one page everything is one click away from all the fights that you need to watch to the instagrams to the ufc stats pages to the tapology pages everything is on one page uh, and we have pretty much the entire schedule any and everything that's announced um is on there we're usually up to every three or four days as well too with all the new announcements uh we try to you know update immediately as well too if there's like a, a fight week change so you guys are able to make a quick pivot and uh do some quick studying um to 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 look up on ufc newcomers kevin the tivy dad being one of them uh for this week tape index highly popular very successful there's a lot of people on it now uh and it's uh it's great you know a lot of people enjoy it positive feedback all around so if you want to check out the tape index the description is in the or sorry the link is in the description below keep fucking that up for you guys but uh there it is all right that's it on my end um i'll be back next week for ufc on vegas 10 
which just lost its main event in Glover Teixeira versus Tiago Santos. So I'm not sure how the UFC is going to pivot from here. Uh, we might get a Michelle Watterson versus Angela Hill main event for all we know. But uh, looking forward to seeing how that card plays out. But I do see a lot of value on that card too. So I can't wait to break down that fight for you guys. Good luck this weekend. Gamble responsibly. And I'll see you guys next week. Yeah.